This episode is brought to you by Essentia. A better you starts with better hydration. Essentia is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Hi everyone, welcome to Soap from the Box. It's Wednesday. Happy Wednesday. It's not Sunday. Hopefully you've gathered that by now. This is a special episode because all of last week we've been supporting Mental Health Awareness Week on Soap from the Box. We spoke to Ashley Taylor Dawson and Alicia Io. Both of those episodes, of course, are still available to listen to now, along with almost 40 other episodes of the podcast where I go behind the scenes of some of television's biggest shows. Adam Rickett is the special guest for this episode, a friend of mine, star of Corrie, star of Hollyoaks, a great guy, and he talks to me very candidly about his own mental health struggles. My guest for this special episode is an actor, singer, model, and now the owner of a craft beer, artisan gin, and fine wine shop and bar. He set hearts racing as Nick Tilsley in Coronation Street, the second incarnation appeared on screen in 1997 until 1999 with a couple of guest appearances. He reached number five in the charts with his debut single, A Guilty Pleasure of So Many People, Breathe Again, and also formed the group Fifth Story along with Dane Bowers, Gareth Gates, to name but two. Recently, he was part of a huge storyline for Hollyoaks when his character Kyle took his own life. He has had his own mental health issues and is my special guest for Mental Health Awareness Week. It's a total pleasure to welcome Adam Rickett. Hi, Adam. Hello, Squire. How are you? I'm good. How are you, mate? A busy man now lockdown's over. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's been a bizarre old year for everybody. Um, I mean, it's like, uh, the, you were just saying about the Hollyoaks storyline. I was literally filming my last scene uh, at Hollyoaks in case my wife rang me to say, oh my God, they put this into lockdown. So I was like, oh God, that's the bar problem. And then uh, during my drive home, I had three acting jobs all lined up, uh, which is basically about 18 months worth of work. And in the course of a 45 minute drive home, you lost you know, 18 all. months worth of work just all disappeared. So it's kind of like, this is not a great day. <laughs> no, and it, well, it's been the same for so many people, not a great year. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, I mean, it, the good things come out of it for me is the podcast, the radio show and stuff. Yeah. So new way of looking at life, I suppose. Yeah, it's just, it's the same for me as well. I mean, like Katie and I, we took on, on the bar as kind of like a bit of a passion project. And honestly, I, I, I was so lucky to have it because if, if I'd had to sit on my bum since March last year doing nothing, I would have, first of all, destroyed the house trying <laughs> to do that DIY. Um, but also, I would have just gone back. I just literally would have completely lost the plot. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm honest enough with my mental health to know that I could not sit on my bum for, for you know, over a year. Um, so in some respects, having the bar was literally saved me. Because I, it was kind of, yeah. I had 
you know, I mean, I had something which I was passionate about, also I can just throw myself into, you know, wholeheartedly. And, you know, Kate and I as well, you know, it's, it's kind of the first, we always wanted to do something together, like in our entire sort of lives together. We always wanted to have a project we could do together. And, you know, we kind of thought it might be a presenting gig or an acting gig or something like that. And it's turned into alcohol, which is probably quite apt, to be honest. With the term. That's great. I was going to say gin, artisan gin can keep anyone going through any crisis. Yeah. So yeah, it's- yeah, yeah. Everyone's kind of said to me, how do you work so hard? And I go, like, it's very easy. I'm in a room full of lots of alcohol. It's quite yeah. easy. <laughs> and so it's called Dexter and Jones. And so people yeah. go, it's in Nutsford, which is yeah. in Manchester. Am I right? Oh, well, it's just south of Manchester. So it's uh, Manchester. Sort of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I'm going to visit, but people can come and sit in, eat in. You do deliveries and everything, don't you? Basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. Beer gardens, uh, takeaways, all of it. I mean, it's 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 one of those things where it's it's kind of a whole scene becoming a bit more well known now. But kind of when we started, it was kind of like this thing on the periphery, and it's it's just it's this really nice community because yes, you can go to the supermarket and you can buy your Stella, or you can buy your Gordon's gin, but in the same way that you know that's like eating a burger compared to eating Chateaubriand. Do you know what I mean? It's it's a completely different ball game, and it's just it's really interesting getting people into it and getting them excited about it as well yeah we had a gin tasting for my friend's hen party actually it's amazing i was amazed how different they all were so i mean i am every day everyone's gone gin mad so we're going to whiz through everything because i know we've got limited little time so corrie let's go back to corrie so you had I mean, trailblazing from the beginning, because you have their first gay kiss in the series ever in Coronation Street with Bruno, who I know well as well. I mean, was that a big pressure at the time to take on such a big storyline? To be honest, I found it really disappointing. Um, I found it really disappointing that it was such a big story. Oh, um, yeah, no, I know, yeah, I know, yeah. It yeah. was just like, in that day and age, you know, I kind of, you know, it's like it was literally when, when Coronation Street, and they were all really nervous behind the scenes about it. And I was like, why? Why are you nervous about it? And then literally when they did the press release, it was the front page of the Sun newspaper. And I honestly, my, my reaction to it was, I found it really disappointing that it was that big a story. Um, I mean, yeah, a lot of thought went into it because it was even the fact that it wasn't the fact that those characters were gay. It was just that, that, that Todd was gay and, you know, fancied Nick. Um, and that, you know that was obviously a conscious decision they made. It was like, oh, we couldn't possibly have two characters on screen at the same time. And I was just like, really? In this day and age, you know, oh, no. even back then, it was like, are we still living in that? So I mean, it was, you know, it was, it was, it was great to be a part of something so big. But in, you know, my honest opinion was, so I was just a bit. I was just a bit disappointed it was so big. Well, and you're saying right, that's like back in the late '90s. We've had someone on recently from Home and Away who've only just done their first gay kiss. It's just ridiculous, isn't I know, it? We're just I mean, home and away. I mean, as much as we love home and away, the home and away. Come on, it's for youngsters. Come on, we should be. Yeah, it's mad. I, just, I mean, I, I, I remember the furore when when Brookside had the first lesbian kiss, and you know, and that was kind of like that was ground, not groundbreaking, but that was kind of like the first time. It was what it was ten years later that Coronation Street did it. I know. Um, I suppose so I the just... the upside to all of these are that at least it's if it is front page, at least it gets people talking who might not have been talking or not wanted to look at it. Do you know what I mean? So I suppose. Yeah, I'm mean, not... I would say as well is soaps. I mean, I kind of always thought that's a big responsibility of soap because it does have the broadest range of audience there is. It goes everybody from like you know your bricklayer to your barrister, and yeah. the fact that you can actually open people's minds to conversations through soap because it's one of those you know with few mediums which just cross all kind of social barriers. Totally. And so, I mean, I think what's interesting as well, because you were like, and I think it's Hollyoaks that started this, because Hollyoaks started in 1995. And I think then all the other yeah. big soaps were like, oh, we need young, good looking people in, because it really, Corey wasn't about that, nor was Emmerdale at the time. So you were kind of probably the first heartthrob, hunk, whatever you want to call it. I mean, that must, I think, 
Is that a pressure on your mental health? Because you, you've got to maintain a certain image. You're there in yeah, a absolutely. reason. Yeah, I mean, I was hired totally as a reaction to Paul Nichols being in EastEnders. Right, um, yeah. And he was Paul hired Nichols. probably on a reaction to Hollyoaks. Yeah, so yeah, he, he started to go, EastEnders got him and um, he became like this big, big heartthrob. And then Corey was kind of like, oh my God, we need that as well. And when I got the job, I mean, it was when Brian Park was the producer and six months later he confessed to my agent that even if I'd just been able to talk, he was going to hire me. Because <laughs> um, I just walked in with floppy blocks. I mean, the problem for me is I used to wear a lot of rugby. So I used to have my head shaved to like a, a, a one on top once a year. And then I would just basically not cut my hair for the entire year. So when I went to the audition at Coronation Street, it was in September. So it was just after the school holiday. So it was literally when my hair was at the longest it would ever be. And my was, you know, in fully intending to shave my head again. Yeah. And then, you know, dry and part like the long floppy curtains. So suddenly I was stuck with this stupid haircut for about five years. <laughs> <laughs> did that mean you couldn't? Did that mean you couldn't play rugby anymore because you had long hair? And yeah, yeah. You know, when, the thing is, as well, when you joined Connacht, you had to sign a contract, so you wouldn't play any contact sports. You wouldn't do anything dangerous. Oh, no, um, because there was so much pressure on. I mean, yeah, it was. It was kind of almost like being in a boy band when I was in, you know, Connacht Street, because there was yeah. this whole media sort of circus behind it, and it was like, you know, there was there was dolls, there was you know, calendars and stuff like that. You have and a doll? Did you have your own doll? I had a doll, yes. That's yes. amazing. Oh, That's no, amazing. it's not. A doll. <laughs> <laughs> a Nick Tilsley, was it an Adam Rickett doll or a Nick Tilsley doll? It was, eventually actually was an Adam Rickett doll. There was a Nick Tilsley calendar. That's my dog's in the background. It was a Nick Tilsley calendar. Uh, he's getting very excited or he's getting very angry the fact that there was a yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's ashamed of that <laughs> listen yeah he's going yes I'm but that and I think what's weird is that girls probably up until that point it was very much focused on girls and kind of pressure on them and suddenly that era started yeah. being a really body image and a thing for boys because I remember being at university and I never no one went to the gym. No one had no boys yeah, 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 yeah. like that. And it was the start around kind of you and Paul Nichols and stuff that that, that image. I will be honest. I kind of did, I did this big expo for mental health not long ago. And it was actually, somebody came up to me, a bloke who bought, uh, suffered from body dysmorphia. And he, you know, he turned around to me and said, just said, <laughs> this compliment or like the biggest background of compliment. He said, basically, do you realize you started the whole problem with male dysmorphia? Oh, no. <laughs> what do you mean? Because you were literally the first person on primetime TV. Yeah, you know, was this from this country? He kind of had like all these American ones, you know, like Baywatch and stuff. But he was kind of like you were the first person in this country on TV who had like the six pack and worked out and stuff. So it suddenly opened, you know, it's as I say, it was, it was a compliment, but also a really bad thing. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, and it was bound to happen. So um, now, yeah. okay, well, we're we're on. Oh, actually, so then obviously you were the second incarnation, and Ben Price, who I love Ben Price, who I yeah. work a lot on Corey, took over your part. Is it slightly weird someone else playing Nick Tilsley, or is it totally fine? No, nah, I mean it's it's it's. I kind of I said to them when I left off from the last time I did a guest sort of slot. I said, I guys, I I really can't come back again. I'm really sorry. Um, and they asked me, bless them. Year on year, they kept asking, "Would you please come back? Would you please come back?" And then it got to the point where they were like, "Look, we really need the characters to come back. If you don't come back, we're going to recast it." And I was like, "Just, just do," because yeah. I, you know, I'm, I, it's part of my life I moved on from. Um, so I remember this is when I was living in New Zealand, doing Shorten Street. And I came home for Christmas one year to see my parents, and Todd's Law. I got to see Ben's first ever scene. Oh, how um, weird! Yeah, and to be fair, it was proper, proper weird. I was like, "This is this is very strange." Um, but then even like when he left recently, when he had his sort of, well, you know, at one point he left, you know, there was even again, you know, kind of questions about whether I'd come back or not. But 
you know, he's thankfully gone back to now to it. So, you know, yeah. I, and I, we I, all know. I mean, everyone tries to make issues of things. We all know things. I mean, Australia does it the best. They just check if someone's ill for two weeks, they change someone. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You they just go to the shop and come back as a different person. Yeah, someone else. So, we'll yeah. quickly talk music. So, obviously, you left in 1999. Yeah. You had the huge hit. Uh, yeah. It was a great hit. But I mean, at that time, and keeping mental health in mind, yeah. I mean, literally, I remember I worked on the Ozone at the time, which was a big music show with Jamie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was when you basically... You wouldn't believe how much I fancied Jamie the Boss at the time. Yeah, well. she she so did I. She did an interview. My God, that's a... <laughs> I know. Uh, well, I probably fancied her and Jamie Thiessen, to be honest, both of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, but she did an interview with me and literally I was completely stricken with her for like the next year. She was, she wow. was, you know what, Jay, all big up to Jane. And I met her recently in Soho, but she is one of the best presenters, I think. She was amazing. Yeah. Such a great Yeah, person. yeah, yeah. But um, all pop stars at that point were literally, it was like they were packaged, wrapped and delivered. You know, you were a product. Yeah. So did it that, was very that also hard. Thing. Again, you had an image to maintain there, didn't you? Was that, is that yeah. a hard thing? It is. I mean, it was because basically I, you know, again, I feel like when I left my most I was like, oh, thank God, I cut my hair. And the record label like, nope, we're putting it in the contract. You can't cut your hair. Um, I was told what to wear. I was, and yeah, it's very different ball games now because nowadays musicians make their money and record companies make their money by doing live gigs. Yeah, because of streaming and everything like that. So album sales make no money, single sales make no money. It's all about doing live gigs. Well, back in my day, it was all about single sales and album sales. So, and video, you know, I mean, you I, needed to make a big yeah. Yeah, and that's how the record companies made their money. So I, I you know, I, I, what well, I did it for two years, and I sang live once in two years, and it wow. wasn't because I didn't want to. It's because all they cared about was you doing press. So you was literally you was there was this whole system in place that when you were releasing a single, you did photo shoots for a month because that took the longest to get into print. Then you did a, a month of radio interviews and then you did a month of TV interviews and you just literally did this circus each time. And, you know, bless the journalists or the TV shows, whatever, they they couldn't even bother who you were. So they just got sent your little biography on an A4 piece of paper. Yeah. And they picked questions by reading your biography. So I spent like a year answering what the same questions. Yeah. And also, so, I worked on the Saturday show and you you put them in, you know, people got put in sumo suits and you'd be put in like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like and you could see people just firstly trying to stay awake because they were so tired from touring the entire world. And also, just, yeah. God, what is this? It's such a different world to today. It's, yeah, it was. I mean, I, I, you know, bless the record company. I mean, I, I signed a six album deal, which was worth a fortune. Um, and before the first single even came out, I said, to them, look, look, I've made a mistake. I'm sorry. I want out. I, I, this is not me. I hate it. Um, and they were very good about it. They kind of said, look, we've invested a lot of money in you recording your album. Could you release the album so you make back your money? We make back our money and then we'll release you from the contract. And I was like, brilliant. Thank you. So work like a dog to make the album do well enough to make them back their money. And we're just literally going to get released when suddenly they decided to release it in Southeast Asia. And long, blonde, floppy hair in Southeast oh, Asia. you must have quite, been crazy. Yeah, nothing, it went yeah. like, it went like platinum in Southeast Asia. So suddenly they didn't want to release me. So it kind of got a bit tricky at times because it's kind of like, I want out, you don't want to release me. You want me to do an album for Southeast Asia. So kind of like, thankfully lawyers stepped in and I managed to get out of it. So I just otherwise, again, I just think it would have, it just put me very much in a hole. It was things like, you know, I had a group of dancers who did I breathe again with. I became really good friends with my dancers. 
And then one day I suddenly got a phone call from my manager saying, look, I'm sorry, you left the company's been on the phone. They decided you're too close to your dancers. We're firing them all and hiring you some new ones. Oh my God. And like, so suddenly I had, you know, these people who I almost felt like I was in a group with. Yeah. Suddenly just one day I turned up and they were gone. Um, so it was, it was very lonely. And it wasn't, you know, and I, you know, I'm, I'm a northerner and I knew nothing about London. So, but the record company were like, you need to move to London so that we've got you here for all the interviews and stuff. So I was like, fair enough. And I ended up living in this flat in London. I just never went out. Literally, I was because you know my friends are being fired. I was there in this flat on my own, and you just literally... you can't go out. I always say kids need to watch like the Whitney documentary and stuff because it's not a that we but our world portrays this really glamorous life. Yeah, I'm not saying it's not fun, but it can be. I think majority wise, really hard, and you need to at least know what you're letting yourself in for for that music world and the actors. Yeah, it's also because back then you've got to remember there was no social media. So yes, as a, so, yeah. As a, as a, actor or as a singer you had no kind of like direct communication with public so that meant the press could just write anything they wanted to about you yeah. and you had no comeback so i used to literally live in fear of saturday because saturday was kind of like celebrity day in the tabloids yeah and sunday was news of the world day that was the worst wasn't it yeah and if they didn't have a story on you they'd literally just make i mean i've mean, spoken friends with a lot of those journalists now and they're kind of like Look, mate we were just lazy if we didn't have a story we'd just make something up or if i came yeah, into work yeah, yeah. in a bad thing I would just decide to ruin somebody's career because they peed me off when I watched them on TV yesterday. Um, so you you lived in this permanent state of just, you know, fear because you didn't know what somebody was going to write. I and mean, there, was, there was one point my mum counted out because she used to keep all the paper clippings. And in a year with Celebrity Saturday and Sunday, I was literally in the paper 42 weeks in a row oh my with God, some sort of wow. story. Yeah, and it just so it did kind of become like you were living underneath this microscope with no... I mean, that's the great thing now is that somebody says something about you wrong and you, you have a direct that. communication to the audience say, sorry, this is bull, but you just yeah. didn't have Although that I think at the same time, what's bad now is anyone can say what they want to you, which obviously to a lot, yeah. of, people, to a lot of people is very, um, which, I mean, I've been speaking a lot about this, is there is an easy way to control trolling, which is to get rid of them, which they can. They're able to do and they don't. So, you know, I yeah. think a lot more needs to be yeah. done. But we'll go on to, because you obviously have been very open with your 17-year battle with mental health yes. and the fact that you felt suicidal and stuff. Obviously in Hollyoaks, Kyle took his own life i mean it must I, there's not many people i don't think who played a story like that who've had an actual you know big a problem a, a, themselves so yeah. it, it's amazing did you find it not useful but i mean how was it playing at this role that in the end saw him take his own life do you know what? it was it was when they first said it to me it was kind of like my first reaction was wow you know, and then kind of, then it was kind of like pride because, because you know, Brian had said to me, the, the producer, um, this is, you know, it's the first time we've ever done it and you're the only actor we feel like we can trust with it in the show. You know, we really want you to do it justice. Um, actually, it would be a great juxtaposition to how the character had been portrayed up to that point. Yeah. Um, so there was the pride. Then, you know, there was this element of fear because, you know, it had been a period of my life which, you know, from the age of, like, you know, 13 to, to 30, um, had been very much part of my life, and you know, you know, thankfully I came through it. But a lot of people don't. Um, but then it was kind of like I got very g'd up about it in some respects. And I seen, you know, I said, to, I said to the, the writers and I said, to the producer, look, I'm sorry, I don't want to just receive a script off you in three weeks' time. I want to come have meetings with you, and I want to be involved in this creational process. Oh, brilliant! So we did. We had like you know three or four sort of script meetings where you know 
it was it was a horrible situation in some respects because literally we all sat around the table and it was like, has anybody here not been affected by suicide? Whether it's somebody you know killing themselves or whether it's you yourself being on that cusp. Um, and there wasn't a single people in a room of like thirty people who hadn't been touched by suicide. Wow. Um, so it was, you know, it's a story which is very, very close to people's hearts, and that's why, you know, it was really important that, you know, I felt like we. We did it justice. And I'd always sort of said about Kyle, and I'd said it all along to be fair, not just even when this storyline came out. I always said he was like, um, I can't the name of the woman from the Beatles, but who kept his face in a jar by the side of the door. Right. You know, he yeah. painted yeah. on this very extrovert sort of face. And it, that is 99%, you know, how it is all not normally. It's the person who's the most extrovert, who's the, the happiest, apparently. They are the ones who usually more, more often than not are dying inside. Um, yeah. So it was, you know, to me, it was, it was very important and it was, you know, it's very personal. You know, even now I still get messages from people saying, you know, literally that episode saved my life because it made me, you know, stop, pause, think. And, you know, when I was had my mental health issues, it was just kind of, it was almost like this, you just stand there and there's just this endless fog in front of you. And you kind of think, this is all I've got. You know, I, 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 I'm never going to get better because I'm always going to feel like this. Yeah. Is there just the point? I mean, people kind of, when people sort of really get to that point of suicide, it's what stops them prior to that is kind of like, oh, my family will be upset or, oh, you know, people will think I'm weak or whatever it is. And that kind of is what holds you back from making that final step. But when you get to a point where you're literally just standing over this, like, almost like into a black hole, an endless black hole, but I mean, it's just like, it's never going to improve. I just can't be bothered anymore. And that's when people do it is because they just can't be bothered anymore to face it because it's just yeah, not and worth. I think, I mean, I've lost, we lost my neighbor to suicide, Rebecca. So mm. she, and I think it's that point that um, they just think that everyone, that, that we say, you said then, like you think about your family. I think they get to the point of going, everyone will actually be better without me. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And, and yeah. It's almost like you give up caring about anyone else. You just, in that moment with you is the only way I can think of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's because people sort of say, oh, suicide is so selfish. And it is selfish because the impact it has on other people. But you've got to remember when you're at that point and you're the person going through it, it's because you just genuinely feel like not only will people be better off without you, but you just feel like there's just no place for you in the world anymore. So there's just no point you being here. And, you know, if there's no point you being here, why should you have to go through the, you know, this permanent state of misery? You know, what's yeah. the point of doing it? I mean, and then we know this year there's been a lot of people suffering. So listen, out there, this week's been about supporting mental health awareness week. Obviously, there's a, we'll put all of the details of loads of different places you can go. Adam is a shining example of being who's opened up about his mental health and he's still here. There is a way through. Um, so thanks. So- can, I, can, I, can I just say as well, though, just on that whole mental yeah. health subject, it's, it's it, the easiest way. People, are, there is still stigma and there is still kind of like this sense of shame and stuff like that. It's the most stupid, benign like a uh, metaphor I can use, but essentially people need to think of their mental health as being a balloon. So every single one of us has a balloon in our mind and every single time something bad happens, whether it's an argument with somebody or not getting a job or your mum dying or your dog dying or whatever it is, a little bit of air goes into that balloon and inflates it a bit more. And that just grows, that just gets more and more inflated. And what happens over time is that women talk. So, you know, with all this bad stuff going on and inflating the balloon, women talk. And what happens is it lets out a little bit of the air. So it never bursts. The reason so many men commit suicide is because we don't talk to anybody. I'm not saying you have to talk to them about the big, deep, meaningful things. Even if it's just talking about cheese to them for half an hour, it doesn't really matter. Just talk. You just yeah. find a way to use it. Because it doesn't matter who you are and what you do. 
every single balloon will burst at some point. For some people, it won't take a lot of pressure. For some people, it'll take a lot of pressure. It doesn't matter. Everyone will reach a breaking point. So there is no embarrassment and there's no stigma. You just need to learn to talk to somebody. Exactly. And to know that most people have got their own little things in their head and you're not alone. You know, it's not going to be a big revelation yeah. for someone that you're worried about things or there's a problem because most people do. So, no, it's amazing to have you on. Thanks, Adam. And good luck with everything. And I will definitely come and see you soon in your place. Cheers, buddy. I shall ruin you. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Thanks so much to Adam for being so open and so honest. I know it's such a help to other people when they hear people, especially like Adam in the limelight, talking about their own problems. So thank you so much to Adam. We are back in a few days' time with two more episodes of Soak from the Box. As usual, I would like to thank David Stevens and the Bothy for their edit and technical wizardry and Ian McCallum for all of his press help. Please do reach out if you are feeling low or please do listen to people who might be feeling low as well. Let's all be there for one another. Mental health really does matter. And let's stop the stigma that it's bad to talk about it. Let's talk openly, honestly, and help each other. Have a safe and happy rest of the week. You know that I love you, baby. You know that I love you, baby.